And here I was thinking that I'd be able to come on and lead off with good news and uh, kind of get everything going on a positive note. And it still may happen, I guess. It still may happen. But uh, a couple of minutes ago, just before we came in the air, as a matter of fact, uh, Eugenio Suarez of the Seattle Mariners hit a two-run single to put the Mariners ahead of the Chicago White Sox, 4-3, going into the bottom of the ninth inning. They thought, this would be great. I could come on. Shy Sox will have beaten the Mariners. The Jays are coming off that big 6-3 win last night. It's going to be good, a chance to get back into into, into the wild card spot and all that good stuff. And uh, instead, we'll have to put that on hold a little bit, although I just noticed that the Chicago White Sox did get a leadoff double in the bottom of the ninth. So uh, it is Blair and Barker. Well, it's Blair, actually. Barker is, is still in vacation. Surprisingly enough, I thought after yesterday's disaster, he would have been coming back in. Beating down the door to get on air. Such is not the case. Um, 7.05 tonight will be the first pitch. Game two of the Jays-Orioles series from Camden Yards. The Jays' 6-3 winners yesterday, and I, and I made the point in Blue Jays' talk yesterday. I was trying to figure out how to describe that win. And our friends at MLB.com, as I was thinking about this, put up a headline on their website that described it as an essential win. And I thought that was probably the best word to use. Jays are still seven and a half out in the, uh, out in the uh, AL East race. Going to have to go some to beat the Orioles, to catch the Orioles. Hell, they're going to have to go some to catch Tampa Bay. But essential was a great word. This is the team that we've talked about was 11 and 23 within the division. It was a team that has a difficult time beating the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, So any win over the Orioles at this point in time with, with the three game series ahead of what should be a relatively easy part of the schedule, or I should say a softer part of the schedule um, is going to be good, but it it did feel it it felt essential. It felt as if um, not to read too much into it, but the fact that the Jays were able to go bullpen versus bullpen against the Baltimore Orioles and win, the fact that they were able to do it. with Brandon Belt hitting, and I love this, kudos to the Jays PR staff. Brandon Belt did have the first two-run leadoff homer in Jays history yesterday, of course, with the extra inning in in play, base runners on second base. So it was, in fact, a two-run home run. But just the way the game unwound, the great defensive play by Bo, smart defensive play by Dalton Varsho, uh, the fact that Ryan Mountcastle, has Ryan Mountcastle had a less effective game against the Blue Jays than he did last night? Three strikeouts, two of them by Yusei Kikuchi, one of them in a 94-mile-an-hour fastball, another one on a slider, 
strikeout on a 98-mile-an-hour fastball from Jordan Hicks. And then Ryan Mountcastle walked intentionally in the ninth inning with a man on uh, on second base, first base open. Gunnar Henderson coming up and grounding out to end that threat the Jays going on, as we mentioned, to win the game 6-3 and 10 innings. I mean, for a variety of reasons, it's, it's every decision John Schneider made worked out. The way he used his bullpen worked out. Decision not to pinch hit for Brandon Belt worked out. Um, I would suggest even knowing there was a likelihood that the Orioles would not send Felix Bautista out for a second inning, given the fact that they are looking at innings, they're worried about relief appearances, they're worried about all those things because their bullpen has been overlooked. I just thought top to bottom it was one of... uh, it, it really was a well-managed game by John Schneider and the Blue Jays. And, of course, it does help when Brandon Belt comes through with a two-run homer. Uh, there were a lot of good signs. Vladdy had three hits. Yes, he did hit into a double plate in the first inning, but he had three hits. Jordan Hicks was tremendous. Uh, Eric Swanson. I mean, that that is in some ways might be the template for the Toronto Blue Jays going forward. Uh, Give you a little bit of an idea of what we have in the show today. We do have Blue Jays tickets to give away for a game against the Washington Nationals on August 28th. Anthony Kastrovitz, MLB Network and MLB.com writer, will join us. You can rest assured we will ask Anthony about uh, what we saw in the uh, LA Angels game today. Shohei Otani taken out after facing five batters. His velocity was down at the start, noticeably called, looked into the bullpen, called the manager, the trainer, the interpreter out, and uh, they got Shohei Otani out of the game. And, of course, anything involving Shohei Otani is news. So we will uh, we will talk to Anthony. Thank you very much. Uh, Andrew Holland, our technical director, according to the Angels PR department. Uh, Shohei Otani left the game with arm fatigue, um, which is an interesting way of, uh, of describing things. Uh, Anthony Castrovince joins us at 6 o'clock. Rocco Batka is a uh, Masson's Orioles reporter. He'll be along. Joe Siddle in a few minutes. Right now, it's my pleasure, my distinct pleasure, to uh, bring in Chris LaRue, former MLB pitcher, Sportsnet 590, the fan analyst. Having a gin for a while. How you doing? I haven't been with you since we did your morning show. Yeah, it's a long time ago. I got my feet wet with you. That's a tough guy to get your feet wet with. Well, not not really. <laughs> You're just one on the long list of people whose careers I've launched. Uh, well, I wouldn't say Anthony, launched. Anthony Stewart. I mean, there have been guys. There were guys. And there was, okay, that didn't work. And then, well, no, that guy's didn't. And yeah, no, that's not, that's not fair. Yeah, it's been launched. It's been launched. I mean, you know, as far as coming from The Bachelor to a job. Hey, hey we don't need to talk about that. I told you not English. to talk about that. That's great. <laughs> um, so, listen, uh, Jack Flaherty was supposed to start, and I'm sorry for talking about that. Jack That's Flaherty, okay. but you know I'm not really. Jack okay. Flaherty was supposed to start tonight for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, instead, Dean Kramer will get the start. According to Jack Flaherty, this is what he told uh, Baltimore writers today. I, quote, didn't bounce back like I wanted to after my last start through yesterday. Um, he said didn't want to get specific, but he said he doesn't know. I, I just don't know when I'm going to make my next start. So 
throwing, you know, doing your job in your throw day and not feeling like you've bounced back as a pitcher. The hell could that mean? I mean, it could be a lot of things, right? The the Orioles might not have confidence in him. That's I, I would think that's the first thing. Maybe give him a couple days, try to figure some things out. I mean, Dean Kramer really isn't a better option. They're both pretty similar when you look at their stuff, their stats, their history, all those things. I think it's just, it's it's one of those things. It's the end of the season. He might have arm fatigue. Honestly, it's it's kind of strange. It's kind of strange just because they just got him. I mean, he did have a bad start in his last start, but mm-hmm. I mean, the Orioles do need to win this game. I don't think, why? They've got a seven and a half game lead. The Jays are better than them. And I think they know <laughs> that. Look at the roster, no. dude. Look no. at the roster, okay. And I know you've you've been you've been a, a a fan of the Orioles all season. I've been listening to your you're you're their number one guy. No, I'm not the number one guy. But when you look number, on number. paper, I promise you, and 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 you and I both know that when it gets to October, it's it's not a matter of what you have on paper. It's who's hot, right? Yeah. So that anything is true. can happen. That is so true. the Orioles <laughs> still think just because we're in first place and just because we're the talk of the town and just because we have this beautiful young roster. And we can't lose it mean, to the it, Blue Jays. It literally means nothing. It means nothing. But when that when, when you get talked to, anyways. Yeah. The Orioles know that they need to, to win these games for their confidence. Well, and the other thing too, frankly, it, let's face it, if you win the next two games, you can, you can stick a fork in the Blue Jays exactly. probably as far as winning the division. So I'll agree with you on that. If but if I, know, if I know Brandon Hyde and I know him well, he's looking to October and, this, and he knows this Blue Jays team is better than the Orioles team. I, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. He looks at the roster and he's like, this Blue Jays team has been underperforming all season. Well, clearly the rotation is miles ahead. The bullpen, I would argue, you can put up against theirs now. Uh, I would feel that way if 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 Vladdy was kind of doing Vladdy things. I mean, I look at the Orioles, and for the most part, most of the Orioles' key contributors are having good years. But some they, would say it's luck. You you mentioned that you uh, you know Brandon Hyde, and I, I've I've heard you talk about this on the on the radio as well. He's a guy that. I think when 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 he took over, people kind of you know he's a guy who was with the Cubs and it was it was interesting because I know that he interviewed for the Jays job uh, and didn't get it and then eventually went to uh, eventually went to Charlie Montoyo. But you know, talking to a couple of people around the game and people I know who are, are involved in the media and with the Orioles and that they rave about him as the manager and the job he's done. Yeah, he's got it's look it's a great young team, lots of talent. Tell me a little bit about Brandon Hyde because I really don't know that much about him. I do look at him and I think I would not ever want to get in a fight with this guy because he looks, maybe it's the the beard, but he looks like he's, he I'll, could go a couple of I'll tell you a funny him. story about, you bring up the fight story. I'll, I'll, <clears throat> I'll tell you a funny story about him. So he was my manager in the minor leagues for three separate stints. So low A, high A, double A, we literally mm-hmm. just followed each other. And he was my guy. Like we were, we were pretty tight. Right. He was, he, he almost forced the closing role on me, even though I was never, I never had that closing mentality. I was always just a long reliever. I was <laughs> right. just, I have the, I have the long reliever mentality. Right. Um, so anyways, I'm, 
early on in my career, I was really fiery. I would get mad at everything. I would kick my glove. I would break things. I would throw my glove in, in, in my locker and swear and a lot of things that you're, I, I don't condone. Right. It sounds like some, what we do in the office. Yeah. Generally. It sounds like you. It sounds, it sounds like, like you. Me yeah. and Barker, it does, yeah. Except for the glove throwing. But anyhow. So I got into this argument with our pitching coach, and I'm not going to name him because we've gotten over it, and it was, a, it was a thing for a little while. And it got heated. In the locker room, there were players around, and Brandon Hyde was my manager at that time. We start swearing at each other. We're nose to nose. And this is a 50-year-old. Like, picture Barker nose to nose with, like, a 21-year-old dude. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 really yeah, it's scary, right? So he grabs me by the throat. The pitching coach. Yeah. He grabs me by the throat and, and pushes me back, and I trip over a couch that was in the locker room. Right. And I'm, I fall back, and he falls on me, and he has his, his hands on my throat. Right. And guys jump on. And you've been, you mean, you, you can picture this, right? Yeah, I can see, yeah. Guys, grab him off, grab him off. And I'm laying on the couch and I get up. And Brandon Hyde comes storming around the corner. He grabs me by the jersey and he slams me against the, the wall. Yeah. And he goes, if you ever let another man put their hands around your throat, I'll kick your ass myself. <laughs> and I was just like, so he didn't wow. I, I was like, whoa, that's not what I was expecting. He didn't scold so that, you for... That, that kind of sh- wow. yeah, that's literally the exact opposite of what I expected from him. I thought he was going to scold me for getting nose to nose with my pitching coach, and I probably said some things that I shouldn't have said. But that just shows you that that Brandon Hyde is is a guy that'll do anything for his players, right? Yeah, he'll do anything to win. He'll do anything for his players. And if that's not proof, I don't know what is. That that's a great story, and and it kind of it kind of sums up what you you hear about Brandon High because I think there's an art to being there's an art to being a guy a, a guy managing a, a team full of really good young players, right? There there is uh, there is an art to that, mm. and um, yeah, I, and I, he's good at it. I mean, he's I don't know if you've ever heard him yell or he gets really. I've heard his like nasally, not nasally. I don't even know how to describe. Like it's like a high pitched yell. He's just, but he's just so passionate. And whenever I see him on TV, I, I, I think back to the days. Like I literally spent three straight years with him, and I think back to the days where he would come into the locker room and and, and just scream at us and tell us how much better we were than we were playing. And and I, I guarantee he did that the last couple of years with the with the Orioles. And look at them now. You're a hockey fan, right? No. <laughs> could, you, could, could you could you be a hockey fan for the next sure, five minutes? Sure, I'll be a hockey fan. The uh, Toronto Maple Leafs have just announced that uh, they have re-signed Austin Matthews to a four-year contract extension. Uh, the average annual value of the contract is thirteen point two five million. Gee, that'll get you a middle reliever. I thought he was, I thought he was going to get a pay cut or take a pay cut. <laughs> no, no, that's I, not a thing. I heard, I heard I, I so mean, much about I, that. Matthews, he has one year remaining in his current contract. Um, so again, the lease announced today that the club has re-signed Austin Matthews to a four-year contract extension. He has a year left in the contract. The average annual value is $13.25 million. I would go into a major breakdown of that were I familiar with the, the uh, state of the NHL salary structure. But, uh, but uh, yeah, Austin Matthews, a four-year contract extension with the Toronto Maple Leafs, which... 
is good, but kind of removes a storyline from the season. You know, this is a writer. I mean, it's good. It, it, it's announced, and now you don't have to ask Austin Matthews or the front office every day, is there anything new with Austin Matthews? But, man, it was a, it was a, it's a good fallback to having a day when nothing else is happening. If you're a hockey writer, they don't care about that. So there you go. Austin Matthews signing a four-year contract extension. Um, what'd you make of the way John Schneider used his bullpen last night? Because we've talked about this a lot. You look at Jordan Hicks and I mean, as a closer, you would like to have Jordan Hicks stuff. I would think stuff. Yes. Mentality. No, <laughs> I mean, well, okay. I, I'd be, I, I wanted to ask you about that because when the Jays made the deal for Jordan Hicks, we had Jason Stark on. And Jason Stark made the point that he thought in some ways Jordan Hicks was St. Louis's version, the Cardinals' version of Nate Pearson. Great arm. You look at him and you want to, I mean, you want to dream on him. Uh, but for whatever reason, it just hadn't worked out in St. Louis. He comes over here. Obviously, you see outings like you saw yesterday. Strikeout, ground out, ground out. Hits 101. Strikes out Ryan Mountcastle on, on a 98-mile-an-hour fastball. Uh, but yet, there's something about Jordan Hicks, and, and maybe John Schneider needs to find this out. There's something about Jordan Hicks that makes me think, I don't know if I want to see him in the ninth inning. I, and, I, and, and that's why when I saw him use Hicks, and then, uh, and then he went to Richards, and then, and then Meza, and then, and then Romano. I was just interested in the way that... That was used. How would you? How would you view Jordan Hicks? I struggle with this, even since he's <laughs> since he was with the Cardinals. I, I every time I've seen him throw, it just it just makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, because he's got elite stuff, and when when I say stuff, it's just fastball, because his off speed pitches yeah. are are very average, and I think that's the biggest thing is. His slider, for the most part, I would say most of the time is just a spinning slider. It's just a, a get me over slider, and then and then guys can can just sit on the heater. And, and if he's not throwing strikes with the heater, then he's he's not effective. Mm -hmm. He's not as effective as he should be throwing 102 miles an hour with sync. So what we saw last night, that was that was probably the best I've seen him ever. Didn't throw a single slider. Yep. Threw that that sinking one hundred to one hundred and two mile an hour fastball. That it was it was disgusting last night. And I know you saw the same thing I saw. Yeah, I, I just it was unhittable. But and they right. knew it was coming. But you are right. It is. He's a nut. He's an uncomfortable watch in a close game. And maybe that's just because you know we haven't seen enough of him yet. You know, maybe and and when a guy comes over from another team and he and he has that reputation of being a bit erratic, you're always okay. When does the erratic dude show up? When does the erratic dude show up? But yeah, I mean, the temptation. Don't you think the temptation's got to be there for John Schneider and Pete Walker to maybe let's just let's see if this guy can do it in the ninth inning, just in case we need him in the playoffs. I would say, I would say no. I honestly, I truly, I. I and I, and I know that Jordan Romano loves to get himself into trouble in the ninth inning. Mm -hmm. Generally, he gets out of it, which also makes everybody feel right. like a little bit uncomfortable. But I, I mean, you can't give up on a guy like Jordan Romano. You can't just say, "Oh, here's Jordan," or "Here's." Yeah, I'm here's not saying pick. give up on him, but oh, maybe okay. a change of 
a change of pace with a guy with a guy like Jordan Hicks. So when the trade happened, and, and I know you have people in St. Louis as well. When the trade happened, I spoke to some guys that I know in St. Louis, and they all had the same the same reaction. It was basically have fun with him. So yeah. they've they've seen this for years where he has the stuff, he has the the makeup, he has everything on paper that you should have to be a Hall of Fame reliever. Mm-hmm. He's not that guy. No, it's a great it is it is it is an interesting point. I do find him an, an uncomfortable watch. Um, what do you think about what do you think about him maybe figuring out a slider or not a slider, uh, a split or a change or something like that where it can keep hitters I mean, off his fastball? Don't you think it's almost too late? No, it's not too late. You don't think it's almost no. too late when you have a fastball like that? I mean, he, he strikes me. I mean, I hate to say this about a guy, but it, it may be one of those situations where it's going to take an injury or something, not this year, but an injury or something at some point in his career to make him kind of work on developing another pitch. I mean, there are guys like that. Uh, I mean, I've got to, I, I, that's one of the things I, I, I think about when you have a guy like that and he isn't, and he is in the bullpen and he does have 101 and 102. More often than not, that's the pitch that's going to play when you're pitching late in the game. And I, I don't know how you develop. I, don't, I, don't, I certainly don't think you develop it in season. I don't know. Maybe you can. Maybe you can start developing a pitch in season. But I would think you'd have to. It's something you would have to do in the off season and in spring training. And I've got to think St. Louis. I mean, they, they've seen the same thing. They must have been trying to develop another pitch with them. Uh, I, I, I don't know, but it is it it, it is an uncomfortable watch. Uh, you made a point last night on the. Uh, on, on the, the broadcast about um, Dalton Varsho and the play he made in the outfield. And one of the things we've talked about with the Blue Jays this year, it, it is, it's noticeable that the outfield, I mean, the numbers tell you how good the outfield defense is. Um, it, and, and it's noticeable when you watch the game that the outfield defense is better. Uh, do you think maybe, you know, because we look at Dalton Varsho and, and, you focus on the offensive numbers. Now, he does have 16 home runs, but you focus on the offensive numbers. Do you think we don't pay enough attention to how good he is defensively? Like, and it's just, you know, I can think off the top of my head, three plays he's made that didn't result in an out, but prevented a run. There was a game, and we uh, talk about, John Schneider talks about this a lot. There was a game in Yankee Stadium. Kevin Kiermaier dives for a ball. He misses it. Dalton Varshow is right behind him. He picks up the ball. It's a double. Nothing else happens. Last year, and no disrespect to Lourdes Gurriel Jr., but last year, he's not anywhere near that ball. Do we maybe need for the rest of the year at least to just focus on how good Dalton Varshow's defense is and take what, take what you get offensively? Because it seems to me that he's going to change games defensively for you, maybe more than offensively. I mean, last night, I had to make a point about that because it, it was such a high baseball IQ moment, but it was it was one of those things that could very easily go unnoticed. Yeah, and I know that you probably noticed it. Because, I thought it was a terrific because you've been around forever and you have a high baseball IQ as well. <laughs> I like you much. I like you much better than Barker. I like you much better than. Barker. But I had to. I had to point it out because it was just it as a baseball guy. I. I it's one of those things where he comes back in the dugout and everybody's jacked up and everybody's pumped up because of that play that's going to go unnoticed, 
right? It's 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 even more important than a homer. Well, maybe not more important than a homer, but it's it's on par with a homer. It's on par with with one of those super important plays during the during the game. Um, he's just one of those players that you have to have on your roster. Yeah. And I know that a lot of people, including yourself, have been hard on him all season because of the trade and because of the pressure on him. But I truly think that that he he was trying to do too much. And I heard him say this in an, in an interview. It was about runners in scoring position. He said he's been trying to do too much all season with runners in scoring position. And I think that's just bled into every day for him. Chris, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. You can tell people you were on the air when Austin Matthews signed his four-year contract extension with the Maple Leafs. I'm a Canadians fan. Now that they are, there is, we do have cures for that now. <laughs> I don't know we, you're a Jets we, fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We do have cures if you're a Canadian fan. Though. There are, there are, we, we have people who are willing to help you if you're a Canadians fan. Well, whatever. Appreciate it, Chris. Thanks for doing <laughs> this. You, Joe Siddle, our Blue Jays Central Analyst, will join us next. It's Blair and Barker. Well, it was Blair and LaRue. Now it's just Blair. Soon it'll be Blair and Siddle on Sportsnet 590, the fan, Sportsnet Radio Network on Sportsnet. Breaking down the biggest stories in Toronto sports. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, boy, I've got all sorts of good news for you here. If you haven't heard already, the Toronto Maple Leafs have announced that they have re-signed Austin Matthews to a four-year contract extension. Uh, the club announcing that a few minutes ago, the average annual value of the contract is $13.25 million. Matthews has one year remaining on his current contract, which was signed in February 5th, 2019. He's currently tied for fifth in goals scored amongst all-time franchise leaders, tied for second in overtime goals with nine. Uh, he won the Hart Trophy following the 2021-2022 season and the 2022 Ted Lindsay Award, and uh, he's won the he won the Rocket Richard uh, Memorial Trophy um, in consecutive seasons. So uh, Austin Matthews under contract with the Toronto Maple Leafs for five more years. Again, it's a four-year contract extension announced today by the Leafs. Average annual value is 13.25 million. Matthews had one year remaining on his current contract. That's good news. More good news. When I last addressed the Seattle Mariners and the Chicago White Sox, I was bemoaning the fact that the Mariners had tied the game on a two-run single. Um, in the 10th inning, the Mariners had the bases loaded with Julio Rodriguez at the plate. Couldn't bring in a run. As a result, the Chicago White Sox have beaten the Seattle Mariners 5-4 in 10 innings. Tim Anderson uh, scoring. On a throwing error by J.P. Crawford. And uh, a 5-4 for the Chicago White Sox over the Seattle Mariners. So that is, of course, 
a significant outcome for the Blue Jays, who are currently chasing the Mariners, among other teams, uh, in the wild card race. The uh, wild card race, as it currently stands, this was, uh, I do believe this has taken into account the loss to the Chicago White Sox. Uh, the Blue Jays are now half a game behind the Seattle Mariners. The teams are tied in the loss column. Mariners are 71 and 56. Jays are 70 and 56. The Jays have a chance to move into a, I guess you could call the statistical tie with the Mariners, although the Mariners do have the uh, tiebreaker right now as it stands. But there you go. The Seattle Mariners losing to the Chicago White Sox. Uh, we mentioned also a little earlier, Shohei Otani was pitching today. He left the game uh, in the second inning of work. He left the game with what the Angels are calling arm fatigue. He is staying in the game as a DH. So there you go. Uh, you're all caught up to date. Again, the breaking news from the Toronto Maple Leafs, Austin Matthews has signed a four-year contract extension. Um, and if you're listening to this via podcast, you're going, Blair, why the hell are you talking about Austin Matthews? It's because he's my favorite player. No, I'm just kidding. Because we're on the air right now on the radio as well. 7.05 will be the first pitch tonight. The Jays taking on the Baltimore Orioles. Your Blue Jays lineup is as follows. Merrifield, Bichette, Belt, Guerrero, Springer, Varsho, Chapman, Kirk, Kiermaier, Kevin Gossman on the mound for the Blue Jays. The Jays coming off a 6-3 win in 10 innings. They are looking to uh, win a series against the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, with a win tonight. The Jays are 3-8 and eight through 11 games against the Orioles. The uh, series finale is tomorrow. For the Orioles, Anthony Santander is back in the lineup. He is hitting third. The Orioles lineup is Rutschman, Henderson, Santander, Mountcastle, O'Hearn, Hayes, Mullins, Westberg, Urias. Dean Kramer getting the start for the Orioles today. It was Jack Flaherty's turn in the Orioles' rotation uh, but Flaherty, from what we're led to believe, I don't know if I'd say he took himself out of the start, but uh, Jack Flaherty telling reporters in Baltimore that he just uh, he just didn't like the way he bounced back uh, after his last outing, did not like the way he felt when he was throwing on his uh, on his throw day. So the Orioles have rejigged their rotation. Dean Kramer will now start tonight for the Orioles against Kevin Gossman. And again, that is a 7.05 first pitch on Sportsnet 590, the fan at Sportsnet. And I'll be along after the game with Blue Jays talk. We'll break down, hopefully, hopefully another Blue Jays win and hopefully at least a game that was as entertaining and as interesting and as textured as last night's Jays win was. Uh, Brandon Belt, the hitting hero, a two-run home run to lead off the 10th inning. I know it sounds silly, but it is true. The extra runner on base or the ghost runner or the Manfred man, whatever you want to call it, on base. Uh, Brandon Belt hitting the first pitch into the seats in right center. The Jays, who we've talked a lot about their sometimes puzzling approach with men on base, with runners in scoring position, certainly. They certainly kept it simple against Mike Bauman. Uh, Vladdy doubled on the very next pitch. The Jays swung, first four Jays batters swung at the first four pit pitches or at the first pitch they saw Vladdy ended up going to third on a Springer fly ball and scored on a wild pitch and uh, there you go the Orioles also made making a lineup or a roster move today Uh, Mike Bauman being sent out and uh, Austin Voth reinstated so Mike Bauman optioned and Austin Voth reinstated in time for tonight's game 
Uh, do we have Joe Siddle? Um, oh, you know what? Before we get to Joe, let's. Uh, John Schneider did his media availability a few minutes ago. Let's uh, let's play his availability because he talked uh, about Dalton Varsho, who, as we said last night, it kind of gets lost in things. But Dalton Varsho made a very smart defensive play last night. He also had a home run. And don't look now, but Dalton Varsho's two homers behind Vladdy. I mean, he is. This is John Schneider before the game tonight. Dalton's got on to Uh, eliminated his leg kick, kind of got back to the no stride. Um, it's allowed him to really, I think, recognize pitches really well. Um, some of the takes have been really encouraging, and I think he's on time on the fastball. Yesterday, it's a, whatever it was, 98-mile-an-hour heater out. Um, he's just having really competitive at-bats. He's finding himself ahead in counts a lot, and, um, you know, he's feeling really confident. So it's uh, it's a funny game. You know, you can feel you can feel like crap one day, and you feel great the next day, and um, he's been huge for us the last two weeks. You see him kind of go back and forth a little bit and just set up at the plate this year. What's that going to do for him? <laughs> well, you don't want to do too much tinkering, right? Because then you, you start thinking about that instead of what you're trying to do approach-wise. Um, we tend to forget he's still a relatively young player, and he's still kind of finding himself, I think, a little bit and what's going to be best for him. Um, so it's a credit to him for being open to you know new things and trying new things. But um, I think having something that's consistent has been really beneficial for him. And uh, he's kind of seeing the results. Sorry about that. Is it more so about what he's swinging at rather than how he's swinging at? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. You know, there's been work to kind of change the plane of the swing a little bit. And, you know, you're only as good as the pitches you swing at. So um, I I like the takes, you know, balls down in the zone, balls up in the zone to then get something more in the middle. And then you put that together with, you know, confidence and probably a little bit more uh, coverage of the zone than he had early in the year, and that's kind of what you're saying. That was John Schneider uh, talking about Dalton Varsho ahead of tonight's game. Joe Sills, our Blue, our uh, Sportsnet Blue Jays analyst, he is in uh, Camden Yards. Joe, thanks so much for joining us today on Blair Without Barker or Blair and Barker. I mean, it was Blair and LaRue for a while. Now I guess it's Blair and Siddle, um, which kind of sums up my career in some ways, doesn't it? Um, eh, so... A lot of talk, obviously, from John Schneider about Dalton Varsho. He has, he, I don't think, I don't know if people are ever, at least for the rest of the year, I think people are are going to be a little critical of Dalton Varsho for whatever the reason. But, Joe, he has made some pretty significant changes. You're starting to see results. And, you know, I had Chris LaRue in here earlier, and I was saying, you know, Dalton Varshall makes a play last night, a very smart defensive play. I know you guys referred to it during the telecast. I know you'll remember a play he made at Yankee Stadium where uh, where Kevin Kiermaier dove for a ball, missed it, and Dalton was right there behind him. Like, I, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, there are like four or five instances this year where I can think of Dalton Varshall being in the right place at the right time, maybe not contributing to an out, but limiting damage in the outfield. And, and, you know, the fact that he's starting to hit now, hopefully that changes the narrative around him a bit because, Joe, he's going to be here for years. Like, when they traded for him, one of the things we, we know is that they, they plan on having him here for a few years. Well, and I think, Jeff, trading for Dalton Varshow, it had a lot to do with improving that outfield defense and Tier Meyer as well, signing him, and that has certainly been a slam dunk. The outfield defense he is great, but I think you're referring to his baseball instinct, and we see it almost on a nightly basis in some fashion, whether it's in the outfield or on the base pass, 
he just, quite frankly, plays the game the right way. And you can't say that about all players. It, it, we watch Major League Baseball every single night. You watch a lot of innings, too. And you see mistakes left, right, and center. But he just seems to play the game the right way, make good decisions. The biggest thing for me offensively for Varsho, and we've talked so much about players going to new teams, and it was a big trade for the Blue Jays because they gave up a top prospect in Moreno, the catcher, along with Gurriel. So there, there is some skepticism, but we do forget sometimes that Don Varsho's not in like his seventh or eighth year in the big leagues. He's not an established big leaguer yet. So when you looked at what he had done in the major league so far, really last year was his first full season. And, and I'm guilty of it too. You know, I saw the trade and I think, Oh, there's a guy that could probably hit 30 home runs, especially with the new dimensions at the Rogers center. And it, that power hasn't quite been around in, and, and quite frankly, a lot of the offense hasn't been around. And you're not looking for him to be, you know, that 800 or 830 OPS guy. But if he could hit his 25 to 30 and do all of the other things that he does so well, that'd be awesome. But the power hadn't been there. So he's, He's on a heater right now. He's made some adjustments. That little toe tap you're referring to is something he went to last year late in the season, and then he got to spring training this year, and I remember talking to him about it. Went back to the late kick, and now he is going back to that kind of happy place or the place that he found comfort, and I think uh, sometimes it's just as much mental as it is physical. A big part of it physically, he told me, is about kind of keeping that head a little bit more still and that's going to reflect on what John Schneider's talking about right there is making better decisions, seeing the ball a little bit better because your head's not going up or down or forward. So lots going on there, but I think, um, you know, if nothing else, he feels much better. He's seeing the ball better. And obviously with the numbers you're seeing, it's turning into some better swings. Now I know the, the memory of this play is fresh in our mind and uh, you know I, I'm sure Bo Bichette has made other plays in his career that I'm, I'm just not thinking of right now but but that play he made last night Joe um, I, I'm not certain they win the game if, if Bo doesn't make that play uh, and, and it's, it's not only getting the ball but to throw the ball as hard as he did as accurately as he did I don't even know how to describe he was kind of on his backside but he was sort of on his side as well uh, what went through your mind when you saw that play being made by Bo? What went through my mind was I saw him range to his right. Wasn't sure if he was going to get there, but I thought he got to the ball so quickly that he he almost over-pursued it, if that's the right terminology. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, it's almost like he, he got on top of the ball. He tackled the ball because he almost got there too quickly. And so that's why I think it looked a little bit awkward. So his glove kind of turned sideways. His body turned toward left field but he was already putting his right hand down and getting his feet up to get in position to make that throw. So all of that, that's what great athletes do. They figure it out, right, in, in, a, in hundreds of seconds. And we've referred to Bo so often as such a great athlete. I think he just figured it out on the fly. That's not something we're seeing him do at shortstop today when they, during batting practice, take their ground ball. <laughs> he doesn't mm-hmm. have to react in the moment. But the bigger part of that play, Jeff, is if he does not come up and get Rutschman, you've got two runners on and one out, and guess who come into the plate? Yep. Ryan Mountcastle. Yep. So by getting that out, uh, it was easy for Schneider to say, okay, put up four fingers for Mr. Mountcastle, and we'll take our chances with Henderson, of course. Yeah, it was uh, It was just a, it, it was a terrific play. Uh, they also, the, the Jays also figured out, um, they also figured out uh, Ryan Mountcastle, it seems. Yeah, they handled him very well, and credit Kikuchi there and Danny Jansen for working on him early and mixing it up. I, I thought the first at bat, and I mentioned it on the broadcast, I thought they were going to have to do something, not advocating hitting anybody, 
but I thought they were going to have to come inside with some fastballs just to make him uncomfortable to open everything else up. Now, a little different with the lefty on the mound of Kikuchi, but he did. He did come kind of up towards in with the fastball. You just never know how that plays and got him on a good slider the next time. But, yeah, and then that fifth inning got a little bit hairy because Kikuchi probably would admit that he made a couple of bad pitches, that 0-2 slider to Mateo that got on with the first uh, the leadoff single. And then the the base hit by Rushman. But then Mountcastle hit a ball pretty hard. It was an 0-1 slider, and he hit pretty good to left field, so he may have gotten away with one there. But you could just see that, you know, here's that old third time through the order. And I think Yusei has certainly earned and gained a lot of trust to stay in the ball games a little bit more now. But all that aside, I was all for getting that bullpen going because they just didn't like the, the swings that they were getting. They looked very comfortable, and they were hitting the balls pretty good. And uh, Jimmy came in, wasn't pretty, got out of it, but uh, it, it would have been nice for him to get out of that inning. But he handled Mount Castle, even though he hit the ball pretty hard that inning. Yeah, and I, I was thinking to myself, too, you know, it, it's uh, – I, Jordan Hicks, <laughs> I mean, I, the this, this stuff is great. I, I, I do find myself worrying when he's in the game. I'm not entirely certain I'd want him closing a close game right now for me. But the way that John Schneider managed his bullpen – yesterday and using Jordan Hicks against you know, the meat of the order. I mean, my goodness, carving up Ryan Mountcastle. I don't think we've seen a Jays pitcher do that, do that in, in a long time. Then handing it over to Eric Swanson. Then Tim Mesa, smart pitching, of course, the decision to intentionally walk Ryan Mountcastle. And then Jordan Romano comes on. I, it, I know that since the Jays got Jordan Hicks, we've talked about the bullpen depth and, you know, and then Trevor Richards comes back, and it, it it just makes sense. It's going to be better. But maybe it was because of the stakes last night, Joe. I just looked at that, and I thought, okay, that's – if there's a template for using the Jays' bullpen going forward, that's it. Well, I walked into Schneider's office today when we met with the media, and I was one of the first to walk in, and I sat down, and I said, well, that was a lot of fun last night. <laughs> and, he, of course, he just chuckled. But And I was being serious. I said, that was a great game. And he got to do a lot of things. And, and I said, it felt like a playoff game. It felt like October mm-hmm. baseball. And you've got all of your horses down in the bullpen now. You know, Richards is back from his injury. Romano's back from in his injury. You've got a new guy by the name of Hicks throwing 100-mile-an-hour sinkers down there to complement those guys. And, yeah, the way he's got so many weapons now that he can – and he, they, they've always done this, but now you can really specialize and pick your spots for where you're going to bring guys in. And, you know, I, I even thought Jimmy was fine. It was a pretty damn good at bat by Jordan Westbrook against him. Hit a sinker in on his hands down in the left field corner. But after Garcia, yeah, Richards just mowed them down and made some hitters look really uncomfortable. And then Hicks, of course, with his power, but Swanson was unbelievable as well. And I think the pitch of the night still, and I told Tim Mazer this today, was running that sinker in on the hands of Gunnar Henderson. I didn't want to see his slider. If it was going to be a slider, it would be just maybe – down and away, get out there to come back to the sinker. I'm a big fan of winning or losing with your best pitch. And I walked up to Tim today and I said, were you thinking slider at all? And he said, only if I got to two strikes, I may have thrown it to get him to chase. And then how about Romano? Did he pull out a new pitch last night? Did you see that thing around 98 miles per hour cutting like Mariano Rivera? Yeah, you mentioned it. And it was funny (laughs) watching the replay. I I don't, I I mean, have you guys had a chance to talk to him? I I did. And what did he say? Is that, was that... did he wink? About, did he say, I got a new about, weapon or what? No, you know, Jordan, that was about 15 minutes ago. And I was at his locker and I said, you got a new pitch you're not telling us about? And he just started chuckling. I said, that thing cut. Both of them did. The first one I said, I watched it. I was like, okay. But after the second one, I said, I had to say something. He said, no, it's just once in a while. What he'll do is 
when he's not maybe at his best or maybe working back-to-back days or whatever the case may be, as a lot of pitchers, they can get a little side-to-side. And he said that ball will run back arm side, like toward the righties, and he doesn't want that. So he really tries to focus on getting on top and working down, more straight down top to bottom with his delivery, and that's what he was doing. You can see it with his breaking ball. It's almost like a curveball now. But that's what he did with those pitches, and he was just saying, I let him go, and I really tried to get on top, and that they just cut a little bit. And I said, well, it's not a bad little weapon to have in your holster if you can hang on to that thing. But, uh, uh, yeah, not by design, but it was something else. Last question before I let you run. We just have uh, 90 seconds or so. Kevin Gossman tonight um, against the Orioles, a team that he started out with, a team he was with. The last three outings for Kevin Gossman, four and a third innings, eight hits allowed. That was against Baltimore. Seven innings, four hits allowed. Uh, and then against Philadelphia, five and a third, seven hits, seven runs allowed. Uh, have you noticed anything different about Kevin in the last the last two weeks or so? Well, when you're facing the Orioles, and remember one of those games, that they, they give him good at-bats. They did it to Kikuchi last night. It's a tough lineup. They grind you. Now, what I'm going to watch for, Jeff, I was not working last week, the Phillies game that he pitched, mm-hmm. but when I did some, did some homework before this game, I noticed that he went to a slider a little bit more, and I'm not sure why. Uh, I know Caleb maybe mentioned something, too, about whether he had something going on with his finger or what, but you don't see him throw more sliders to righties like that. That's not his bread and butter, and I don't think that was a – specific team approach we'll see but i'm going to be watching tonight how he attacks these orioles hitters and there'll be a bunch of lefties in there and switch hitters but that's just it was it was almost as though he was pitching away from his splitter a little bit in that last start and again i didn't watch the game i I just researched it so something i'm watching for tonight and hopefully he's back to that fastball splitter combination but this is a tough lineup joe we're going to let you scoot man thank you so much for doing this have a great call tonight all right, Jeff, enjoy the night. Thanks. Thank you. It's Joe Siddle, our Blue Jays analyst, 705 first pitch. Joe and Daniel have the call on uh, Sportsnet family of television stations. It's time for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Jeff Azapardi. Jeff, how's it going today? Well, did you see that they got Barker and Hazel doing a yeah, thing to, tomorrow uh, night? Uh, so let's go to the man a lot of people are talking thing? about, Brandon Belt. Uh, total bases for tonight, over 1.5. What do you think? I mean, you know what? I've been so hard on Brandon Belt this year that I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to take it. I, I, I'm, I'm going to take it. I, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the over. I'm going to go with the over. Um, uh, you know, I know Dean Kramer's moving up a day uh, and, and is facing him. But you look at his, what is his last 73 plate appearances, his isolated powers, weighted on base percentage, um, 40% of what he does is hard contact. Yeah, uh, I know there's a limited sample size, three plate appearances between them. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to be a Brandon, I'm going to be a belt lever, a Brandon belt lever tonight. How about that? I like it. Second question for you, with, with Kramer moving up, you know, Jays are the odds on favorite tonight. Do you think it gives them a bit of an advantage? I mean, I guess who who do you like better, Jack Flaherty or Dean Kramer? I I don't I don't know exactly. I think it's all. I think it's going to come down to Kevin Gossman, and and I'm with I'm kind of with Joe on this. Um, I don't. I, I was puzzled to see the number of sliders that were thrown, and he's right. Maybe just didn't. Maybe just felt differently. Maybe didn't have command of the splitter, or just wasn't comfortable in it. I don't know. But I I, I saw some things that. 
you know, caused me to scratch my head a bit. Uh, it was the fewest pitches he's thrown in a start this season. Four strikeouts, three walks. Um, I think I might take the over here. All right. I like that. So let's I go. I think I might take Blue the Jays. over here. Big game tonight. Absol- absolutely. That was Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. 7.05 will be the first pitch on uh, Sportsnet 590, the fan. And Sportsnet game two of this three-game series. Jays 6-3 winners last night in 10 innings. We've gone through the lineup already. The Jays lineup, no surprises for the Baltimore Orioles. Anthony Santander is in the lineup. He's in right field. Their lineup of Rutschman, Henderson, Santander, Mountcastle, O'Hearn, Hayes, Mullins, Westberg, and Arias. It is Dean Kramer uh, making the uh, start for the Baltimore Orioles. And um, Jack Flaherty scheduled to make the start. He was the Orioles' significant acquisition at the trade deadline. Uh, Jack Flaherty telling Baltimore reporters he just did not feel right after his throw day. And uh, as a result, the Orioles have made this move with their rotation. And it kind of points out that, you know, as good as the Orioles are, we've talked about this. One of the issues with the Orioles is, first of all, they've got a bunch of dudes who haven't haven't been where it looks like they're going right now. But secondly, their pitching is a little thin. That's why they want to get a guy like John Means back. They've been monitoring their innings, the innings of their bullpen almost since May. They've been monitoring bullpen appearances and bullpen innings. So it has certainly got to be a concern for the Baltimore Orioles. Just another thing for Brandon Hyde to worry about, which is probably why there will be a point in the next couple of weeks where he's really happy that his team has a bit of a bulge and certainly a reason they'd want to win tonight. Uh, Anthony Castor, Vince of MLB.com, joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan and Sportsnet.